0: Well, we want to welcome you to our new series that we're starting this morning for the next four weeks called Love One. Very simple phrase, Love One, and it really focuses on exactly what Jesus has called us to do. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 4 this morning, John chapter 4. As you know, we've been through the book of Luke for the last year or so. In four weeks after we cover the Love One series, we'll be jumping back into the book of Luke, and we will be in Luke until Easter Sunday morning because Luke 24 ends with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Luke 21 and 2 and 3 deal with the crucifixion of Jesus, particularly 23. And uh, we on Palm Sunday, week before Easter Sunday, we'll focus on the cross and then of course resurrection. Then we'll finish the book of Luke. But for four weeks, we are looking at this subject, love one. You see uh, the uh, logos everywhere. You see the word on your... uh, Worship God this morning, love one. Very simple, but a phrase I want you to get familiar with. Why don't we say it together, love one. Ready? Love one. Say one more time. Love one. What about the possibilities of loving someone the way Christ called us? to love them in a redemptive way, in a a merciful way, in a way that would literally transform their life. And I'm not talking about just loving people that, that are in your family, as important as that is. It's important for us to love one another in the church as well. So we wanna love our family. We wanna love those in our church. We wanna love our neighbors as well, though. Jesus, when asked by lawyers the greatest commandment, answered this way. He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is likened to it. That's not what they asked him, but he went on and said, not only loving God vertically, but the second is likened to it that you love your neighbor as yourself horizontally. And Jesus lived that out. He lived that out so dramatically that no one flinches when we say what John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. No one flinches when we talk about Jesus loving other people. And we're going to see a prime example of that in John chapter 4 this morning. So take John 4. Let's stand together as we read God's Word. We'll read the first six verses in a very long chapter of Scripture. And the title of the message today is Love Someone. Love Someone. John chapter 4, early on in the ministry of Jesus. The Bible begins in verse 4 by saying, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, even though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. I love this whole story, but I really love this phrase. He had to pass through Samaria. In the King James Version, it is, he must needs." be in Samaria or must needs pass through Samaria. There's this divine sense that God is leading him to the spot. Verse five, so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus being wearied from his journey was sitting thus by the well, it was about the sixth hour. Now there's enough there for us to be occupied for just a few moments and we're gonna come back and look at verse seven and following after we spend some time in these first six verses. Father, I ask you today to help us understand what you're showing us, what you're demonstrating, not only to us, but to the entire church, starting with these disciples who observed what took place this day. And Father, my prayer today is that we will walk away understanding what it means to love someone, just like you loved someone, this one woman, that you demonstrated incredible, merciful love towards. Father, today I pray that those in this room who feel unloved by you or others will, from their own perspective, see her side of the story and understand how truly you do love. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Please be seated if you would. I love the fact that Jesus Christ never says to do something that he doesn't also back up by example. He, He is our example. Remember when Jesus told the disciples, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He was basically saying, I've got a model and I'm going to provide the power by which you build the church. We today, 2,000 years later, are the church built upon the power in the words of Jesus. We're built upon the gospel of power. We cannot have any right relationship with God without the gospel that Jesus Christ gives us. We're built upon the the compassion of Jesus and we are called to follow the example of Jesus. And here in this passage, Jesus is teaching these disciples, here's what I want you to do in in the way of leading the church in the days ahead. Here's how I'm gonna express myself through you and in you and then out from you to all that have yet to experience me. This is big because this is an example For us today, 2,000 years later, of how Jesus wants us to live. I want you to know some things about uh, this text. First of all, I want you to notice first a gospel characteristic. This is the gospel characteristic. And by the way, anytime you hear the word gospel, it always means good news. That's literally what it means. The good news of Jesus Christ. He's come to forgive us. He's come to give us eternal life. He's come to love us. One person at a time. Notice the gospel characteristic here in verse 1. The Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Now, now we're not hearing this in, in such a way that helps us to think that there's some competition going on, even though that's what people were talking about at the time. But I want you to notice this. Jesus was making and baptizing disciples. Jesus is making disciples, and Jesus is baptizing people both. That's so important today. When we look at the life of Jesus, he's laying down a model for these disciples to walk away with by which they are supposed to live. And it's a life of discipling and baptizing and baptizing and discipling. Often in the course of a church life, when you're connected to a church, when you're involved with other people, much discipleship takes place, and it should. We are to teach others to observe everything Jesus told us to observe and live by, and that's a big part of what we do, but but at the same time, we're also to be baptizing people who come to faith in Jesus. Hey, I wanna celebrate the fact that four four people today were baptized after placing their faith in Jesus Christ. Celebrate that with me. That's awesome, it's amazing. It ought to be that way every week where people who have talked to others are bringing them in and they're coming and expressing their public faith in Jesus. Now, for those four and any that express their faith in Christ, there's a discipleship process. We adopt them. We lead them to maturity. Both are important is the point. Jesus is both baptizing and he is making disciples. They are like the two feet of a healthy church. Both must be in operation. That's so important today. You need both your feet to walk in a healthy manner. The church needs to have both feet, both discipling and baptizing. When I was 12 years old, I lived in a small town in Oklahoma, and um, there were pretty lax laws when it came to riding minibikes and motorcycles. In fact, if you were 12 years old and looked like you were 14, you could actually ride a motorcycle and nobody would ever pull you over. The police had other things to do. We had two of them, and they had other things to do. So we were able to ride through the town quite freely. There was a friend of mine who was 12 years old who had a mini bike and one day we were riding back on that mini bike, I was on the back seat and he was on the front uh, part driving. And and as we went down the little road in that little town, I noticed as I looked around his shoulder, uh, something sitting out in the middle of the road. It looked like a little brown box, like a box you would put a book in or a box that a book had come in. So I saw it approaching. I thought it was cardboard. I thought, I'm going to kick that box down the road when I get to it. So he got close enough. We didn't talk about this at all. And in my 12-year-old mind, it was a perfect scenario to have some fun. So as we got closer to it, I stuck my foot out and hit that box, which turned out to be a brick that had fallen off a truck. (laughs) I didn't break any bones. But for the next two or three weeks, I had a badly bruised foot and I could not walk well at all. I had to walk on the back of my heel like this, and I would walk in an awkward way for two weeks, and I had a hard time explaining why I had hurt my foot. Because if I told them the the truth, obviously, then then they would say, well, what a stupid kid are you, right? So I never really had a good excuse for that. I never really explained why. I just said I hurt my foot really badly. And in the same way, we as a church have a very difficult time Giving an explanation why we don't disciple and baptize if we don't. It makes no sense biblically. It makes no sense by way of command. It makes no sense in in how a church should grow. For us to disciple lots of people and people over and over and not reach new people and disciple them as brand new believers in Jesus Christ is simply unhealthy and not the plan. It's not the plan. The plan that Jesus gave was that he was making disciples and baptizing, and we understand that to be literally new disciples of Jesus Christ or new believers. One without the other is unhealthy, and that's true in all of our lives as well. Some may feel that they're more acclimated to discipling, and maybe they enjoy teaching, and maybe they enjoy talking about the disciplines of the Christian life, and I think that's amazingly powerful and appropriate and good. But at the same time, we're all called to have conversations with people who do not know Jesus and helping them come to Jesus. And what a joy to watch a brand new believer come alive spiritually and understand for the first time what it means to pray and what it means to read the Bible and what it means to know how to live and how to walk. What a joy that is that a church sometimes misses if we are not doing both. Some time ago, almost two years ago now, Chuck Kelly of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary put together a study he'd been doing for many years about churches in America. Specifically, Southern Baptist churches was his field of study, but there are 50-some thousand Southern Baptist churches all across America. And as he plotted on a graph the progress of churches or the regress of churches, if you will, he noted this. He noted that among Baptists, we have increased the number of churches since 1940 radically. We've moved from something like 38,000 to 50 or 52,000 churches across America. But at the same time, he charted the number of baptisms. That is the number of people who have come to faith for the first time and been baptized. And the timeline for the church starts goes up, but the line for the baptisms goes down. As a matter of fact, as a whole, we baptize less now than we have since 1940 or 1945, that region of time. More churches reaching less people for the first time decisions in Jesus Christ. It's a conundrum. It's a problem. And the reason it's a problem is because the model that Jesus gives us is not one of just getting people from one church to go to another church so that that new church can grow. But the whole idea he had was reach people who don't know me, express to them, show them the amazing, dramatic, powerful, supernatural love of God, and let them come to faith and let them be a part of that growth. So we have a gospel characteristic that we must follow or we cannot impact the next generation as a church. We're concerned about things like that at all times. We need to be in balance. Both discipleship and evangelism is important. Secondly, I want you to notice that this conversation is taking place. It's a gospel conversation. Look in John 4, 7, verse 7. To this context, a woman enters the scene here. It says, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. I love this chapter of this conversation. I love it. This is an amazing conversation. Whole books have been written about this conversation. Because here is the son of God, who is standing alone at a water well, And he's compelled by his father to be there at that moment in time. The disciples have gone into town to get something to eat. And so he's alone. And here this woman comes all by herself to this well. And you know what's going to happen, right? This is no coincidence that they're going to have a conversation. But the interesting thing about it is Jesus begins this conversation with something all of us can talk about. Give me a drink of water. You've got a pot. There's a well. Give me a drink of water. I love the fact that all of us can talk about what Jesus begins to talk about here. But the unique thing about this gospel conversation that's taking place is that Jesus is jumping over all kinds of barriers to even have the conversation. In that day and time, it was not appropriate for a man by himself to speak to a woman by himself, even if they're outside of town. So he jumps over the gender barrier, so to speak. And he says, it's important enough to me that you hear what I'm gonna say to you, so I'm gonna talk to you. It's important that you hear this. He jumps over a social barrier. Later on, if you read this this conversation, you'll know that Jesus revealed to her what she already knew about herself, that she had had five husbands and the man she was living with was not her husband. And so there's a moral dilemma here. She's probably seen by her own village as a loose woman or at least a very hungry, empty woman. And Jesus jumps over that social barrier right there. There's a racial barrier he jumps over. The Bible says she's a Samaritan That means she's half Jew, half Gentile. And Jewish people did not look favorably at what they would call half-breeds, half Jewish and half Gentile, a Samaritan woman. But Jesus was there on her turf and he was there to reach out to her. He jumped over that barrier as well. So barrier after barrier after barrier. What does this say about his love? Think about this woman with me for just a minute. Think about her. Just take a moment and think about this woman. She came to the well by herself. The man she's living with and not her husband, she's had five. No other villagers came with her. No other people are around her. She's not hanging out with a group of women the way would be more normal. She comes to this well, she's lonely. She's been rejected. She knows enough about rejection to know it's not good, it doesn't feel good. So she's lonely, she's rejected. She's uh, curious. Because in the conversation she asked about where she ought to be worshiping, here's a woman that nobody has shared hope with yet and Jesus is going to bring it directly to her. Uh, Let me just say this to you today. This woman, by every way that I can see uh, in the sense of scripture or the lens of context, is morally uh, bankrupt in some ways. And just think about the fact that the God of the universe makes an appointment with her in his divinity, to meet with her in humanity to say, I love you. I love you if you're moral bankrupt. I love you if you're lonely. I love you if, you if you're empty and have been rejected. I love you even if it doesn't seem appropriate for me to be talking to you. I am coming to where you are because I love you. Think about what that says about the character of God. Wow. I wish I could get inside the mind of that woman as he first began to speak with her. I wish I could think about what she was thinking about because it had to be amazing. It had to be incredible that this man that she surely had heard something about was talking to her. And think about what that says theologically about God and his care for people anyway. For all people everywhere, that's why we in our mission statement like to say this, that we want to lead all people to Jesus. It doesn't matter who they are, what race they are, where they are morally, whether they're alone or with others, it doesn't matter. What does matter is we want to love them like Christ loved this woman. Part of the great command, loving God and loving others. Jesus is exemplifying this for us. And he conversed with her. And here's what you need to hear that in, in that statement. He didn't preach to her. He didn't preach. You know, we can get preachy to people, but I I need to tell you this today, that you don't have to preach to people to share with them the love of God. In fact, you should probably not preach to them to share the love of God. They won't wait around to see if there's any love behind the preaching sometimes. He conversed with her. There was a give and take conversation. There were questions and answers going on. He had a conversation with her about life, about sin, and the Messiah. He did not condemn her. He did not judge her. A simple, direct conversation with a humanly speaking total stranger. That's important. You know, I deal with a lot of preachers now. I am a preacher, so I have friends that are preachers. I remember uh, how easy it is to talk to people in a preachy way. I mean, it just is easy because we fall into that. Preachers fall into preaching. That's my wife if that's not true. That's my children if that's not true. No, wait, don't ask them. That's a sore spot, right? Okay. It's one thing to practice your message on them. It's another thing altogether for you to fall into that pattern. I remember being in another city one day, and a a pastor friend of mine and his wife were with us. In fact, there were several pastors and wives at this particular city and conference. And we'd been touring a certain area. We came out of that area. We were waiting for the rest of the pastors to gather. And and this one pastor, a friend of mine, big guy, loves the Lord, very passionate about the gospel, started talking to a man who was the security guard in that area, and and this guy was about 5'4", the security guard was, and the pastor was about 6'4", and uh, I watched him from a distance and decided to pray for him because I knew he was gonna be sharing the gospel. It was very clear to me that's what he was doing. But at some point in that conversation, he began to kind of get preachy, you know? Talked about the judgment of God, Jesus hung on the cross, and this security guard started backing up. He was getting kind of afraid. I was was waiting for him to reach for his gun, you know? (laughs) to protect himself. And I thought it's so easy for us to be preachy when we share the gospel, but what Jesus did was something entirely different. There were times when Jesus preached, but friend, what Jesus was doing with this woman and with Nicodemus and with the rich young ruler and with Zacchaeus, the short man in the tree, he had a conversation with him. And that's something everybody can do. Don't you for one minute think that you have to be a preacher to have gospel conversations because that would be a lie from the enemy. You are uniquely positioned by the sovereignty of God to have life-changing conversations with people that are interacting with each other. That's what God's called you to do. So this gospel conversation begins to unfold. And it's his model. If you really analyze... The conversation he had with her, gospel is embedded all the way through it. He talked about the character of God. He spoke about the offense of sin. You've had five husbands. The man you live with now is not your husband. He talked about the sufficiency of Christ himself. He said, "I who speak to you am he. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that came." You know that he also positioned to her this personal response that she had to have because she did make a decision to follow him. And I'll show you how we know that in just a few moments. There was eternal urgency going on here because in reality, Jesus was compelled to talk to this woman at this moment. This was his motto. And why don't we follow this? I've learned over the years that 95% of Christians never really share the gospel with anybody else. And 95% of Christians in general don't get into gospel conversations. And it's, it's kind of heartbreaking because we should be in gospel conversations. This is the motto. And God's positioned you to be in those conversations. But here's what people say to me when they say, here's why I can't do that or don't do that. Sometimes people are kind of ashamed of Christ. And they feel this culture is very unfriendly. Or maybe even too far gone for anyone to even care about the gospel. I know that often people say, I'm just not confident that if someone asks me a difficult question that I can answer that question. But some of us would just admit, I don't know any non-Christians. I don't know many people. I don't hang out, don't make much room in my life for someone that's not a believer is not a follower of Christ because I'm just surrounding myself with people that, that share my convictions with me. I've actually had some people say to me, I think sharing the gospel must be for those that are seminary trained. And I can assure you, seminary training does not qualify you for much sometimes. Certainly, I know people that have never been to seminary that share the gospel so well. And some of them are you in this room. Many simply do not know how and have no one to equip them to share the gospel. And that's the travesty of this. That sometimes we don't recognize that that's all it takes. You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for the, over the last three years here at First Eulas, we've been able to equip more than 750 people to share the gospel through Camry Talk. It's not the only way to share the gospel, but it's the way that God has blessed here in a supernatural way. 750 of us in this room or in the other rooms of this facility that are meeting right now have been equipped to share the gospel and are confident to have these kinds of conversations that, that Jesus is having with this woman, starting with, I'm thirsty, can you give give me a drink of water? You know what my goal is as a pastor? It will always be my goal that 100% of us are equipped to share the gospel with someone else. Because you cannot obey what Jesus says we're to obey if you're not equipped to do that. So here we go, a gospel conversation. And when you have a gospel conversation, you become a catalyst for change. And that conversation can change a life. You remember what the Great Commission is? The Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. It says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So you see the two steps, the two healthy feet of a healthy church, discipling and baptizing, teaching them to observe all that I command you and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we all, all of us are able to do this. We can all do this and we're called to do this. Someone asked me as we were beginning to talk about Love One and all the focus that we're going to have in Love One over the course of the next year. Next four weeks, we'll focus on it quite a bit. And what we'll be encouraging you to do is to find one person that you can begin praying about who's close by, locally, geographically. Begin to pray for them after you identify with them. Begin to, to invest in their lives, build friendships with them. Eventually invite them to come to church with you and ultimately impart the gospel to them. Someone says, how does that fit with can we talk? Well, can we talk? And what we've done with that is to equip people to have the conversation. Love one says, we're gonna focus on someone to have it with. Because they go hand in hand, they're not competitive. You can't really have a conversation if you don't know how to share that, but you really can't share it in everyday life if you don't focus on someone to share it with. So, love one is finding that one person, and the title of this message today is important. Love someone, love someone, and as you do that, you're doing what Jesus did, giving us this amazing gospel conversation. You can do this; we can all do this. Now, I want you to see what happens next in the story. We move from a gospel conversation to a gospel conversion. Look in verse twenty-six. We could read the entirety of this conversation and I encourage you to do that over the course of this next week as well. But look at what happens at the end. The woman says to him, I know the Messiah is coming. I know uh, the one that's called the Christ is coming and he will declare all things. And so Jesus in verse 26 says something very plain, very straightforward. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. She's saying I've heard all about the fact that the Messiah is coming. Jesus said, He's come, I am he. In this gospel conversation, he gets to the point. And the point is he's the Messiah and she gets it. And this is her moment of conversion. This gospel conversation he's having with her now has fruit. It's a gospel conversion. Now, the reason I know that is because verse 29 tells me that she goes and tells her village. Look at verse 29 at what it says. She says in verse 29, after that conversation, come see a man who told me all the things I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? I also know because of verse 30, that she brings them out to see Jesus. So they went out of the city and were coming to him. So here's a woman that must not have had much influence before, dramatically influencing everyone else because she is exuberant over the fact that she's been face to face with the Messiah. Listen to me, look at this way. Gospel conversations can give birth to gospel conversions. They go hand in hand. Without a gospel conversation, it's very unlikely to have a gospel conversion. And if you want to see someone convert to Christ, give their lives to Christ, gospel conversations are the way to get there. And it's powerful what happens in her life. This is so true all the time and wherever we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 says it all. Paul said, I planted the water, but God gives the growth. God gives the increase. You see, no matter where you are, you are placed by the sovereignty of God to either plant seeds or water or have a conversation where God gives the increase. That's important for you to know. So you may not share the gospel and have someone immediately respond to Christ, but you can be part of the process and there will be times where they do immediately respond to Christ. One of my favorite stories to tell is the story of a young woman that I had a conversation with on, a tele- on, a, on an airplane ride. And we had about a five hour ride from here to Southern California a couple of years ago. And uh, anytime I'm on an airplane, I love to share the gospel with people. If I'm in an Uber, a car, Someone is taking me from one place to another. I love to share the gospel with them because most of the staff that I work with every day are saved. At least I think most all of them are saved. And so I don't have gospel conversations with them. I have gospel conversations with my neighbor and in transportation places. So I'm on an airplane and as the plane is getting full, I've already sat in my seat. I'm doing what I always do on an airplane. I'm praying and hoping for small people to sit next to me. Anybody ever do that besides me? I'm praying for small people. If I see a guy my size walking down the aisle, I'm praying. And he'll keep on walking, right? Because the seats are this wide and they're about that deep, and you know that's the way it is. So I pray for small people. I'll take children. I'll take uh, I'll take uh, pygmies. I'll take I'll take uh, or anything, anything, little people. So on this particular plane ride, a little old lady came down the aisle with a cane and um, white hair cane, and she was a real tiny lady. And I said, "Oh Lord, give me her. I want her. I want that lady right there." And she sat right next to me, and I said, hmm, that's one for one. And I'm praying for the second seat on the other side because I'm in the middle, and so I'm waiting, and, and nobody boards, and I'm thinking, I've got it made, this is great, this is awesome. And just as the plane uh, gets ready to depart, they close the door, and a young woman comes running down the aisle. And this, this young woman is, uh, is headed for my seat next to me. I already claimed it as my seat, but she's headed right next to me, and so she sits there. This girl has uh, got a hat on sideways, she's got, Hair that's colored in a lot of different and a lot of different colors, uh, 13 shades of purple, I think, and and then she's got piercings all over her body, a tackle box full, I like to say, and there's there's tattoos all over her arms, all kinds of things like that. And I'm thinking, okay, which of the two are most ready for the gospel? And I'm thinking this old lady. <laughs> I'm thinking she's closer to heaven probably, or to death rather. So I'm going to share the gospel with her first. This one over here, I don't think she's going to be interested. So I try to have a conversation with this little lady who's got a novel open, and she lets me know in no uncertain terms she is not interested in what I have to say. And that'll happen sometimes when you want to have a gospel conversation. She's in her book, and she gives me a look that scares me, actually, so I say, okay. <laughs> I'll be a good, good boy. I'll just keep my eyes ahead. And the girl on the left has gone to sleep. She's asleep by the time that happens. And so someplace in that plane ride, she wakes up, and we are going to have a talk. And I noticed on her arms the tattoo is a serenity prayer written out in Spanish. And uh, so I asked her about it. I said, do you believe in God? And uh, she said, yes, I do. And we began to talk. I said, can we talk about those kinds of things? She said, sure. So we began to talk about that. And uh, I got to start sharing the gospel. And at some point in sharing the gospel with her, she asked me if I believe in coincidences. And I said, well, no. But it was kind of a random question, but she didn't explain it any further. And I shared the gospel with her, and before I got to the end of sharing the good news, I talked about how Jesus died on the cross and laid all of our, God laid all of our sins upon himself. And she stopped me and she said, I, I want that. She said, I want that. And I decided to try to finish the presentation that I was giving her because I wanted her to hear it all. And at the end of that, I said, Do you, do you still want to put your faith in Christ? She said, I do. And so they're on that airplane. That, that incredible young woman who'd been facing so many challenges in life prayed and asked Christ to be her Lord and Savior, asked for forgiveness, asked for the gift of eternal life. And I remember what she said shortly after she prayed that prayer. She said, I've got to take you to meet my boyfriend at the luggage claim when we get there. I want to tell others, and I, I want you to meet my mom at some point. I want, I want everybody to know what's happened to me. And one, one reason you know that someone has come to faith in Christ is they're, they're not ashamed of that. They want other people to know it. And then she asked for my email address. She was gonna write me a story. She said, you need to hear the other side of the story. And I said, okay. So she wrote me this letter by email, and here's what she said. She said, I had just left Central America where I'd been sent to get away from drugs that were involved in my life. And she said, I was addicted to those drugs, and they were about to destroy everything I had, my job, my family, my home, everything. She said, I'd gotten off the drugs, got on the plane. When I got to Dallas-Fort Worth, I came and sat down next to you. She said, I was just thinking about the fact that if I didn't fill myself up with something, I would go right back to what I had before. And so when you started talking about God, I began to say, this can't be a coincidence. I knew that I needed to fill my life up with God. On that day, I was not a preacher. I didn't tell her I was a preacher. I was just a guy who wanted to have a gospel conversation with anybody that would. And on that day, God had placed me right next to her. See, folks, something supernatural happens when you're willing to share the gospel. Often people are ready and willing to place their faith in Jesus Christ, but they do not know how. And they need someone to have the conversation, to love them enough, to pray for them enough, to say, I'm going to be in that spot, that place. I must needs be in your area. I need to go your way. I need to sit next to you because I have something that you need to know about. And his name is Jesus. You see, Romans 1.16 tells us that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And we believe that with all of our hearts, don't we? Could you say amen to that? The Bible teaches us in all of this teaching, and we've come to conclude that the gospel has enough power to change the world. And I believe that. Do you believe that? Say that statement with me. The gospel has enough power to change the world. Say it. The gospel has enough power to change the world. And truth is, if we believe that, that it's got to be high on our list of priorities in sharing the gospel with people. Let me just say this to you before I get to the last part of this message. You may be sitting here today like that woman. Empty, lonely, maybe morally bankrupt wondering if God cares about you. It's no coincidence that this is the example that we're talking about today because God wants you to know he loves you, that he can fill your life with what you needed to be filled with, that he can forgive you and turn a whole new chapter over in your life to where you're not just in a new chapter, you're in a brand new book. And it's the book that Jesus has for you. Don't hesitate to respond to him today. And that brings us to the last thing that this text shows us, and that is a gospel congregation, which you look in chapter 4 and verse 35. I love this. In verse 35, we have all these people coming out of the village that the woman has brought to talk to Jesus. And Jesus sees his disciples coming in. And as those disciples come back and they see this conversation is taking place, they're going, what's going on? And Jesus says, do you not say there are yet four months? And then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they're white with harvest. Now, the reason Jesus uses that moment to talk about that is because these disciples understand the basic laws of the harvest. These were men who were raised in an aggregating culture, an agricultural nation, and so they understand this. But as these people are coming out of this village on this hill, coming down to where the well is, they in their white robes are flooding the hillside led by this woman. And Jesus says to these disciples, lift up your eyes and look at all those people. Look at the fields. They're white with harvest. Not four months from now, but now. And it began to make an incredible impression on these disciples' minds. This woman, on the other hand, was leading a gospel movement by helping others believe. Look in verse 39. This is what happens when we lead people to Jesus. It says, from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things I've done. They're believing now because she has told them. There's no evidence that Jesus went back into the village, nor did his disciples, but she became the witness that had been impacted by Christ. So look at this. But they're congregating around the woman, congregating around her testimony, congregating around the message Jesus shared as she brought them to him. So they came out dressed in those white garments. This is how the first gospel movements began. And it's a simple pattern for us that we disciple and that we baptize. It's how the church is designed to grow. And all of us are needed for that to take place. See, you go places I'll never go. You'll sit next to people on airplanes. You'll be in the neighborhood of people that I will never be near. And you, you can do this. You can find one, focus on the one, prepare to share good news with the one and be part of this whole gospel movement that God has called all churches to be a part of. So I want to ask you five key questions to conclude this message today. And really the questions are on your worship guide. It says on one side of that guide, what can you do? Would you pull that out and look at that? I'm gonna ask these questions from the perspective of what if. What if you identified one person to focus on for the next year? The rest of this calendar year, one person. To begin to identify, and then secondly, what if you identified that person and began to pray for them, you interceded for them? And you began to ask God to give you opportunities. You began to pray for courage. You began to ask God to allow you to, uh, to, to be near them and around their day to day activity, and you would actually initiate some of those times. But what if you interceded for them? Then, thirdly, what if you invested in them? What if you spent time with them, got to know them, got to know their family, knew their family names? do what things that they were going through in life. When we walked through our neighborhood to invite people to uh, our Christmas services, we learned an awful lot about some of the people that we had known uh, by face before, but they really opened up and began to share some things about their private life, and they'll do that because they have no one else to tell. They can't tell this to the phone that they hold every day or to the television or to the computer that they look at every day. They need a real-life person to interact with who knows Christ, and I want to tell you, you're a real-life person who knows Christ. What if you invested in them? What if you invited them to attend church with you and worship the God that you worship and the Son, Jesus Christ? And finally, what if you imparted to them, looking for the opportunity to share the gospel with them at some point this year? And if you don't feel like you're confident to do that, talk to us and we can help you be confident to do that. But here's the deal. What if we did what John 4 did? What if we followed the example of Jesus and realize that where we are placed in this life is not a coincidence. It's by the divine sovereignty of God. What if? Just think about the possibilities with me. What if? Now as I close, I wanna come back to the woman. You've thought about her. You've looked at her from the perspective of where she probably was in life. You felt something of her loneliness. You felt something of the fact that she's disenfranchised maybe by the fact that she's empty, looking for something to fulfill her life. Let me just say, if you're like that in any way, I know someone that can fill you. I know someone that can forgive you. I know someone that can give you meaning in life. I know someone that can bring you from being far from God to being right next to God, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And in the same way Jesus had a conversation with that woman that day, that brought her to saving faith. He'll have that conversation with you right here, right now. Today, I'm going to give an invitation for you to respond to that. And I'm gonna ask that you stand right now, if you would, wherever we are. And as we stand, our heads are gonna be bowed and our eyes will be closed for just a moment. I'm gonna ask our prayer team to come to the front. They're here at the front at the end of every service, and they'll be here at the end of this service as well. But right now, before we dismiss, before we have a closing word of prayer, I'm going to invite you to come right now. They're coming and they're facing you right now. Come on down if you would. And they're going to be available during this next song that we play. They're going to be here for you. If you felt lonely, if you felt somehow cut off, if you feel far from God, if you, if you don't believe that you've ever met Jesus as Lord and Savior then today, there would be no greater privilege that, that we could ever have more than just being able to talk to you this morning. So as our heads about bad eyes are closed right now, as you think through whether that's you that need to respond today, the music will play. And I invite you to come right now. Just step out.
1: Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Where'd you come? Can you hear him? With us, if you will. You can
0: look this way and sing with us as we continue to extend the invitation.
1: Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there is no reason to wait. It's calling, would you come, is a great opportunity for you to talk to someone wherever you are. Come. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. This is cold.
0: today is a great opportunity for you to make the decision that makes the difference. Coming to Christ is so simple. But we best come to Christ when there's someone there, a witness there to pray with us, to encourage us. In just a moment, I'm going to close our service in prayer, and when I do, there will be many that walk out going on about their day, but there's plenty of time for you to come. At the end of that prayer, come and have a conversation with someone. They'll take all the time that you want to take answer questions to make sure that you have that opportunity to put your faith and trust in Christ. The truth is the woman at the well left different than when she came to see Jesus the first time. Didn't even know what she was coming to see or who she was coming to see. She came for water, she left with the water of life. That's so important for you today. Even though you might not have even imagined making the decision today and still it's a stretch in your mind, you can leave with the water of life and you'll never be thirsty again. Not really, not spiritually. He'll satisfy you. So as I close in prayer in just a moment, I want to invite you to come. It may be today that you're a guest, and maybe perhaps you've already made that decision to follow Christ. I'd like to invite you to our guest reception room. For just a few moments, let me talk to you about what God is doing here at our church. Tonight, I invite you to come back at 5 for our, our town hall meeting, just to share about what's next, what's ahead. We have some exciting things to share with you. But nothing is more important than the decision that I've been talking to you about. And this is the time that you could do that. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, thank you so much. That there was a woman, this woman that is unnamed. He was at this well. And Lord, you did not leave her there alone. You didn't leave her there empty. You didn't leave her there to wonder about the rest of her life. You left her with life. And Father, I want to thank you so much. That stands as a testimony to what you will do when people come to you. And so today I pray for anyone in this building today, anyone within the sound of this voice who wants to put their faith and trust in you, Lord, let them be able to have the courage and boldness to do it now. Thank you, Father, for your incredible love for all of us in Jesus' name. Amen.